Welcome to the Pantheon Plus Rewind. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 56 of the Rewind. Another Sunday is upon us, and that means we get to talk about the only MMORPG on the horizon that has our undivided attention, and that being Pantheon Rise of the Fallen by Visionary Realms. So if you're new here and listening to the show for your first time, uh, what we do is we try to uh, do our part to build and maintain community. Uh, people who are as eager as we are for Pantheon, because, you know, when launch day comes and we all start our adventure, you're going to want to bring friends. That's uh, something we've heard before. So that's why we do the show. And uh, hopefully you enjoy that kind of content, whether you're listening on YouTube for the premiere or you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or anywhere we can you can download it. Uh, but I've got one friend at least on lockdown, and that is always is my co-host Minus, and he joins me as always today. Minus, how are you? What's going on? What's up, man? Nothing, nothing crazy going on here. I'm literally counting down the days to my move in June. I can't yeah, wait. Man. I'm done Big with this place. Up. Yeah, I'm completely done with this place. Now, I have not packed a single thing, not even <laughs> one thing. Um, and my girlfriend has packed nearly her entire house. So <laughs> that sounds about right. She's like having anxiety problems. The fact that I have not done anything and I'm just like, well, what's to do? Like, I'm just going to take stuff there in a box or I'm going to break something down. I'm going to put it in a van or in a truck or whatever. Like, what's the big deal? So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not too worried about like packing. Like, I don't know. I don't, you're, you're so funny that, that we, um, whenever we go to the lake for like the weekend, we've got a cottage and, uh, there's always there's two types of packing and you're you're right your girlfriend packs one way and guys pack another right girls put together like a suitcase they got things they got like a plans you know what we do we grab a shopping bag we throw <laughs> a pair of underwear in it and a case of beer and we're we're on our right yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that's how we do it do i have thing, enough right? socks do i have enough underwear i could probably yeah. wear these pants twice <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's like you know the essentials is what we focus on but uh so you what you got to do is you got to invite her over and like you know oh I'll make you dinner you know we'll have oh, a nice she night. would do it if i let her i just i'm yeah. like don't worry about it like we get to, we rented a truck and we're going to get to move like that weekend, but we get the keys earlier. So like, I've already planned to go rent a van just for myself and just load that thing up and start taking everything over that's small. And when it comes time for moving day, I'm just going to have to move like a couple big things and be done. Like I, nice. I'm, and it's funny because I won't be it. prepped at all, but yet I still <laughs> feel like I'll be the first one moved. So we'll still see what happens. I think I'll come out on top. I've moved several times. I know how to do it. And mm -hmm. you have you have the right idea. It can be done that way. So I, I mean, the biggest thing is I have all these TVs to take off the wall and like pull down with the yeah. drill. Like most of what I'm doing is going to involve a drill. Like that's yeah. the hardest parts. But the other thing is, is I've been thinking about this. Like when I move, I'm going to be setting up my office. I'm wondering if I should stream like setting the office up. Yeah, you should. Definitely. Because I can have like two different cameras like, cause I have two cameras now, one like showing one side of the room and the other and hanging stuff up and laughing and joking in the camera and stuff. Maybe I'll do something like that. That would be kind of fun. Just like a, like an all day marathon of me setting up the office and checking chat every once in a while. <laughs> See what there you happens. go. There you go. I'm looking forward to it already. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it already. Your, your moving day has now become a good day for me too. So oh, that's great. Awesome. I think you should. Right on, man. So let's, uh, let's get to thanking our adventuring party for this week. All of whom donated during the premiere of last, uh, not last week, week before, cause we were off last week, uh, during the previous episode. So our adventuring party this week is Dustin Harms on the Archive Druid, Lucille on the Gnome Enchanter. Dan Johnson on the Human Ranger, Jason Alator on the Human Monk, 
Ziplocs on the Dark Mirror Rogue, Brian Reck on the Gnome Summoner, Redbeard Flynn on the Dark Mirror Necromancer, Sparrow on the Elf Ranger, and Bounty Coat on the Human Paladin. So thank you, as always, to everyone who supports the show. And we always say it, we appreciate it, and we want to put it back into the show, and that's exactly what we're going to do this week. So if you are here for the YouTube premiere and, and in chat, get ready because we're going to do a big giveaway today. This is the biggest one we've done yet. Um, so we are doing a giveaway for an advisor's pledge, which is worth $300. So this uh, is a pledge that goes to Pantheon's development. And uh, the big thing with the advisor's pledge is that it includes alpha access, which is something that, you know, we've been hearing a lot about lately with the path to alpha and, and uh, the development uh, going, uh, heading uh, towards alpha. So we wanted to uh, give something away that can help somebody get in on that. In addition, you get three months of game subscription time. You get a buddy code for an additional download, and you, there's more to it. I won't go through all of them, but um, it's a it's a good it's a good pledge. Um, it was actually the pledge I started out at before I uh, upgraded, and uh, it's I think it's a really you get a lot of value with this one. So if you've already pledged and you want to enter the giveaway for a friend or a family member, that's right ahead. The only thing we'd say is that if you've already previously won a giveaway on the show, then maybe just. Uh, let somebody else add it. Um, but uh, if you want to enter the contest, just uh, in the chat, type at Theric, T-H-E-R-E-K, with the YouTube uh, play button emoji so I can uh, throw your name in the hat. And uh, when we get to the last segment today, which is the lore you know, um, that's when I'll announce the winner. So if you are the lucky winner, just email me, Theric at Pantheon.plus, and we'll get you set up for that pledge. So... It's pretty cool. Am I just getting to give away some some alpha access? That's fun, right? Yeah, super hyped. And and just thank you to everybody who donates and helps us with with what we need to run this. And this is what's left. You know, like we pay for Adobe, we pay for internet stuff, we do different crazy things. But you know, this is all just going right back to you guys. So um, you know, we want you to know that that's our goal all the time. You know, when we can give back, we're going to give back because this isn't about me and Theric retiring young and going off to this into the sunset <laughs> so oh, wait wait it's not wait when, well, not, not yet i should not be yet. canceling my plans and i guess no. <laughs> <laughs> not yet Theric. not yet but no not but yet. uh it's really fun to do this kind of thing and you know we know there's a lot of people out there who don't have the disposable income that you know want to get in and see the game and be a pledger and this is our way of sort of being able to do that for some of the most loyal community members out there some of the people who support us so we're really excited to give this one away today so good luck to everybody for sure Absolutely. Right on. Good luck, everyone. All right. Well, with that intro, let's get on with the show. This week in Visionary Realms News and Notes. All right, everybody. Welcome to section one of the Rewind, which is always sort of looking at VR social media, figuring out what's going on in their world, whether it's official news or maybe just some great discussions. And this week, we're focused mostly on great discussions. And the first one here, it's funny, Theric. I went back to try to see the last time we talked about this topic, because I know we have before, but it mm -hmm. hasn't been since we've been naming the uh, podcast. So it, it was if we did, nice. it was in like the first 15 episodes. And That's I thought we did then. one. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, we've done this before, but I'm not in this depth. And it's a, it's it's a, a good, good one. Discussion. Yeah, yeah, this is a good one. And everyone's like, well, what is it? Well, it's instancing <laughs> and MMORPGs. So they posted, what are your thoughts? Can it work? Do you like it better? Are you a full open world kind of gamer that despises any kind of instancing in games like Pantheon? So should be a nice one here to go back and forth a bit with Eric and uh, feel free to jump in as always. So yeah, for sure. Let's start with Miguel Diaz, the third who says, I typically refer back to EQOA since that was my favorite MMO. 
They had borderless zones and instances, but the instances were just a way to compartmentalize larger zones. Individual fights for small groups? Yes. Raid areas? Maybe. I enjoy pickup group raiding. So staged areas? So pretty mm-hmm. uh, interesting concept that, you know, even back in EQOA, they had them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it, it sounds like it was already starting to evolve a little bit, right? Going away from the pure open world into, into a new... Uh a new way of doing things. I don't have any experience with EQOA, so I'm always interested to hear, you know, how that game sort of works. I think it was quite, uh, quite different and quite well liked. Yeah. I hear a lot of good things. I mean, you know, I'll be, I'll be completely honest when I was playing EverQuest EQOA seemed like the cheap way to try to get a little EQ fix, right? Like everyone who was playing <laughs> PCs, like PCs, the better one EQOA on a PlayStation, get out of here. Right. So. Yeah, that was the thing, right? It was a PlayStation aspect of it. For me, that was like, you know, I just wasn't going to do it because I was never a PlayStation person. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've yeah. heard good things. I've heard good things. Yeah, me too. Uh, JJ says open world can definitely work. Outside dungeons just need to be large enough to support a vast player base. Multiple options should exist for level ranges so players don't feel bottlenecked to one area. Raids can be open world, but I think instancing can work for the penultimate moments. Um, yeah. I mean... Well, I'll go in depth more, but I think that last point there is is the most important to me. I know you're not necessarily on board with that, but I do think yeah. that a mixture is what's needed. But I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll get to our thoughts at the end. But I think you've, you've got the you've got the right feel for it there. <laughs> uh, Nathan Napalm, this was surprising to me. Um, I'm very surprised. He says, for the sake of giving all the guilds some love, low drop rates, but instant raid boss fights. For the love of the world, some open world boss fights and everything else open world. I was shocked to hear Nathan say that. I Me was too. shocked. He's he's done he did um a video a little while ago about open world and just the the essential nature of the open world for the MMO space. I think, you know, I think as as everybody does, or I think as um, intelligent people do is that opinions <laughs> can evolve and change over time. Nobody, you know, if you get locked into one position and you just don't change no matter what you um, information comes along. I think that's, that's, I don't think that's very intelligent personally. And, and, uh, so I, 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 and I think that that is probably, um, you know, through discussion and videos and all the stuff that we do with Nathan, that's probably something that he's evolved a little bit with. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. I like that. I like that answer. Good job, Nathan. Good job. <laughs> um, Libwick says open world 100%. With instance raid zones, there's too much top-end content, item distribution, diluting their buzz big time. If you want to spread top-end content loots while preserving the specialness of content items and the beauty of open world, apply a death timer flag gate. An open world, not an instance. So Libwick, definitely against the instancing. It was pretty yeah. interesting because it's it's very... Let me put it this way. There were way more people that were okay with instances this time than I've ever seen. It's surprisingly, I agree. And the forums actually, because I went to the forums to look at, see some of the answers on this too, and um, the official forums. And I was shocked by, I had the same exact reaction because, and you know, the forums are typically very much the hardcore old school crowd who, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, worship at the feet of the tenets, you know, and <laughs> open world is, is the, one like of the foundational things, right? Yeah. And, but worship, I was surprised because worship at was, the feet of the tenets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they do, you know, and, and and I was surprised. There's a lot of people there that have sort of started to soften a little bit like this. Yeah, everything new is not bad. That's what I say. Everything new is not bad. It can be done bad, but it can also be done well. 
Good point. Good point. Uh, Derek Fonts says, uh, big fan of instance content for Dungeons and Raids. A field allows both developers and players the opportunity to make slash play content that is tailored in a specific way. And then he said, is camping spawns really considered fun that people seek out? Serious question. Yes. Yes, it is, Derek. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually agree. I, I think the thing is, is that both sides of that are fun. So why not have both? Like there's some really good things you can do with instance, which we'll get into later. And then camping's great. You can have both. You can do it right. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just I mean, just camping is is it is fundamental. It's part of it's part of the part of the formula for this game. Um, so yeah, I can't get away from that too far. Yeah, I didn't include it, but Basgrim jumped right in on that. And like, yeah, going pretty hardcore on why camping is vital. I didn't include it. Um, Ang says, I prefer non-instance environments. Whilst the cons are well discussed, the benefits include a more tangible and interactive player environment, competition, area fidelity, and natural encouragement for players to seek new and less traveled lands. I love that response. I think that's so well said. What he said about, um, you know, the tangible benefits um, of an interactive player environment, like, competition for content has become this boogeyman right we're we're scared of it we're terrified that somebody might monopolize content and we don't have access to it um and that's that's what an mmo is that's what an mmo is it's it's dealing with problems like that yeah it's part of it definitely part of it i know and i know you're going to disagree with that but like no no i'm just it's uh it's it's interesting i'm not just gonna you know disagree with it just to disagree it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting phrase you just used there. <laughs> I just, I just, I think that, um, I think part of the challenge is, is getting, solving these problems as, you know, from a person to person approach rather than a instanced approach. But anyway, so, so let me ask you a question and, and mm-hmm. I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to bait you. I'm curious your thoughts. You camp something, you you're holding down a camp with a group for like three or four hours, you're killing placeholders. The boss spawns and another group just comes in and kills that boss. Yeah. Yeah. How's that, how's Sucks, that feel? But it's not, it doesn't feel good. But then again, there might be a way to take the boss, take the camp back. Um, there might be a way and to wait another four hours to possibly get a shot again. Well, no. Or you find a way to protect the camp from that happening. You know, maybe you set up ahead of time where sure. it's like, you get another group or you get a friend or somebody to sort of, you know, keep a scout and watch for other groups coming along. And I think that contested is sort of become this like dirty word and, you know, and, and it, it, yeah, there can be moments like that where you're like, Oh, that sucks. But that's not always like, that's not the worst, you know, I'd rather feel something than nothing. And instancing kind of makes me feel like, well, it can never happen. I'm not really feeling anything, you know, like. Okay. And, and, And again, I'm not, I'm not leaning one way or another. I'm curious. I was actually curious on your thoughts. Here's my thing. There was someone in um, the unofficial Discord today that was talking, and they were talking about the death penalty. And they said something along the lines of like, you know, oh, I remember, you know, when you know you'd go to fight a boss and you'd die, and then the next guild would take it over and kill it. And it was just, those moments were crazy. There is no way in that moment you enjoyed that. Like looking no, but- back at it with this crazy lens of like that was cool. In that moment, you were miserable, hated the game, and probably wanted to quit. But you didn't quit, did you? 
sure. You, know, you, you went but, back. But, but don't you, you think pissed. pretending that was fun is a little, little much, like a little too far over the board? Like, okay, but, it, it, it made me competitive. It made me want to try harder. It frustrated me into action. Sure. All of that, 100%. But the, oh, that was awesome. That wasn't awesome. Let, let's yeah. let's calm down with the yeah. <laughs> I, I I hear you. I hear you. It wasn't awesome, but it's not when awesome do... to get screwed over. Like it's no. never <laughs> awesome to get to get completely screwed over. It's not. No, that that is definitely true. I can agree with that. <laughs> I, but that moment when you do get it, when you when you get it, and you know the possibility that you couldn't have got it, that's what I'm talking about. That's like the crack cocaine of MMO gaming, right? That's like you're, you're when you know that somebody could have jumped in and taken it, but they didn't, or you prevented it. It's like, man, it doesn't get better than that. Right. We have uh, prismatic. Dave was next. He said shards work well in Vanguard ancient port warehouse. The first massive raid zone had four shards, which never increased where if one was full of raid groups, they could go into another shard. The immersion was still there because every shard had raid guilds going down different spots. Kind of kind interesting. Of like, That's a really good, um, you know, historical sort of evidence of why it can work. Well, they do that in EQ too, as well. Remember when we were playing, you could go into like a different shard of it if there was a lot of people there. Right, so. right, right. Um, Tumbly says no instancing is preferred, but I'll be surprised if it actually works in the game again. When content for an Uber guild becomes denying everyone else on the server content or loot because they already have it, but don't want anyone else to have it, the game has already failed. So there's yeah. the, there's the, you were just talking about how that's cool because it's competition and you know, it's, and if you finally get it, it's going to be even better, but is that good for the game? But I think that's two separate things. What he's talking about there is, is completely monopolizing and never allowing anybody else to even approach the content. Right. So yeah, that's the big fear. I get that. And that, that's a realistic fear. I'm, you know, what we were talking about earlier was more like, you know, um, you know, sure. you just can't a, just a regular stealing, camp in the boss yeah, yeah. spot. Yeah. That kind of thing, much a smaller scale, but this is, this is more about like managing guild power on a server, managing, um, a, a, a group's ability to do something like that. It's, and so don't change the content, change the group, change the, power uh, mm. level that the group that the guild can achieve right something along those lines right. board fan Gerud says uh <laughs> what why are you laughing I, board say fan. I just I, we're all we're all sort of board fans aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> like just waiting for pan yeah. that's a good name we definitely are um it has its place but it has yet to be balanced with open world so the game isn't just another instance so so that's mm-hmm. the whole, it's, it might work, but the balance hasn't been there. Yeah, uh, the balance hasn't been there. That's right. It's been overdone. Core Chamber says both have advantages, so why not do both? Really? Let dungeons veer off to more common rooms for instance versions of mo- uh, that move story quests uh, while leaving the deeps of us crawler groups who want to camp and farm on common named spawns win-win. He's basically saying do both, like we've been talking about. Sometimes it's really yeah. hard to read Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It is. Yeah, no, I mean, and there's, that's the argument that you're going to hear the most often is, you know, you can, you can leave some stuff open world, but some stuff needs to be instanced. So it's a matter of, you know, what is and what isn't, how much, how far do you go? Yep. Um, Sean Holden says, I prefer dungeons that are instanced, form a group and fight through it instead of camps forming in different locations within it. Some, even most zones are fine for camp locations, but dungeons and raids 
are much more interesting if you can start at the beginning and finish it. Hmm. Yeah. Don't know about that. Not, it's not, it's not how I see it, but you know, I respect, you know, he's got an opinion about it and um, it just feels like, it just feels so disconnected, you know, feels mm, disconnected know. from the world. I sort of agree with parts of what he's saying, like to go into a massive. So, I mean, imagine I'm just making this up completely, but you know, you go into an underground crypt that leads to this sorcerer who's in charge of all the undead coming to life. He's protected and you want to go and this guy and to do it, you have to fight through his hordes of the undead, his generals and the traps and tricks they have that are protecting him in this dark crypt. And you fight your way through and you get to him and have your ultimate battle. How's that not awesome? No, it, it is absolutely. Um, but he, what makes it even better is if there's other players doing that at the same time or other players in a different part trying to take it from a different angle. I should have wrote that down on a piece of paper before you said it so I can be like, that's exactly what I said you were going to say. Um, <laughs> but Lauren, he says, instances isolate groups of players from the rest of the population, which makes no sense in an MMO games where you're supposed to interact with any people not just your friends and guild members. So agree, him and Sean were very opposites of each other. And I thought that was a too good way to end it. So oh what should we do? Should I go first and you can try to rip me apart or uh, let's yeah, see you that. go first. I've talked a lot throughout this. You, you go ahead. Yeah. So I, I am 100%. Everybody knows who talks to me often knows that I think that Pantheon would be very silly not to entertain the idea of very small moments of instancing. Um, I think that it will take nothing away whatsoever, whatsoever from Pantheon to have raid bosses, specifically big raid bosses in an instance room. You walk into a portal, it teleports you into their room. That's your fight. Um, that means that the entire raid is already open. That means that you're walking through the raid zone and fighting mini bosses and side bosses and camps and doing everything you would ever do in a raid. And it would be the only one of two games in the history that's going to do that, right? Because most of the raids are not open world in any other game except pretty much EQ and maybe a couple little ones here and there. Um, so that's going to be revolutionary on its own. You can leave the dungeons. That's fine. I don't mind that. But I think raid bosses need to be instanced. And it comes down to a very simple reason why. Everybody says, and you've said multiple times, and I maybe I baited you, talking about the social aspects of why it's important. Okay. So leaving the raid open is very important. So you see all these raid groups fighting their way in, and you see all this stuff going on like you want to see. That's the social aspects, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When engaged in a raid fight, you are no longer in a social environment. You are in a team battle. In my opinion the constant use of social, 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 social goes away. Because for Pantheon to be a great social MMORPG, it does not mean that every single second of everything we do has to be a social adventure. It just doesn't. And it won't. When you're crafting by yourself or doing things by yourself, that's not social. Do we want to remove that? It does not... The, the act of fighting a big raid boss in a 10 to 20 minute fight with phases and changes to the environment and all these things you need to do, you are no longer in a, hey guys, what's going on social environment? You're not. You are now with your friends, testing and honing your skills 
and furthering your knowledge of story and lore in an epic battle. In my opinion, there is no need to worry about socialization in that moment. And in that moment, compared to the rest of the raid or the dungeons of the world, it is a very small moment in a sense of the world. But it's super important for a guild or group to be able to experience, master, learn, and depend on one another. There is no value whatsoever to having a second raid group standing around the raid fight. And on top of that, instance, again, allows for changing environment, which you can't really do in open world. You can't have the world, the you know, the ground fall out and have a different section you start fighting in or a chase sequence where your fight adds as you go to a secondary room to fight him. These are things that really don't work in an open world because if you, the ground fell out and everybody died, how would you get your corpses back? Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. be able to, right? And you can't just be standing in there hanging out like, hey, let's watch this raid. Oh, I fell through the world and I died. Like yeah. it, it's, there's just, it doesn't make sense. And in my opinion, the, the, what the world wants out of a raid boss is much different now than it used to be. And you can have epic raid encounters like you get in World of Warcraft without changing the entire game to be like the crappy wow. Like yeah. the raid battles in wow are the best. Hands down, I'll argue they end a day for that. They are intuitive, they are beautiful. They are challenging. There are mixtures of things you need to do. They're unique. You're not just standing there. There's movement and puzzles and cooperation and stacking and splitting and changing and, you know, fighting one mm. boss, switching over. There's all these things that can be done in an instance that can't be done in open world. And I still say that. Now, can people prove me wrong? Sure, but I don't see it happening in open world. That's where... If Pantheon isn't going to just be a copy paste of an old game and they're going to move the genre forward, which has always been their goal, then they need to have some of the best, most intuitive raid fights. They just do. And you can't do that with open world. Sorry, you just can't. It's, really, it's a really, really good argument. And um, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding a way to to disagree with you. As we've as we've done this show, as we've done our stuff, I've definitely come to agree with more that point because I know that the raid... I mean, the raid content really is a small percentage of the entire game's content. If you look at the whole game and everything involved, I mean, raiding is really a small part of it. It's going to be a small part of it, at least at the beginning. Um, so when you isolate the instance to that small portion, I'm I'm not opposed to it. It doesn't bother me um, for all the reasons that you said, because you made a really good argument about it. You are not social in that moment. You are definitely in a in a tactical skill combat situation what i what i think is tricky is that um when you see that work well then it becomes well we could do this for other things right and i'm not i know the slippery slope i'm not going there what i'm saying is like instancing does work it does it it solves a lot of problems but it creates more problems in other areas that aren't intended to be solved right so um, it becomes the answer to like, you know, um, story content. It becomes the answer to server population management and then so on and so forth. Right. So you get this sort of awesome tool that you get in your hands. You're like, I want to use this everywhere. And so I think that's what we've seen. And that's that's what I want to really stay away from, um, because I do think the essence of an MMO is this is a social gameplay. And in a raid, you're not in that. But the rest of the game, you really, really are. 
Um, and when you take it out, it's like bake, trying to bake a cake without sugar, right? <laughs> like you, if you put in like Splenda or you put in some other substitute, right? It, it's probably healthier maybe. Um, maybe it's palatable to a wider range of people, but you lose something fundamental, right? And I, I really just, I want, the, I want the genuine article. I want an MMO that focuses, that it has that, that ground to it, that, that uh, you know, um, fundamental nature of the social aspect of it. So, you know, um, contested, like I said earlier, contested contents become like this sort of like, we're scared of it. We don't want it. We don't want people taking our stuff, but we don't, you know, just regular content out in the world, dungeons, everything leading up to that one epic raid moment, I guess, you know, I think is fair game and I think should be open world. And I, I don't really want to change anything about that. Right. Even though I'm a lore person and I love a good story and I love the lore leading a moment leading up from that. I've been doing collecting lore and reading about up to for the last month. And I get this cool moment. I'm, I'm still so important to me that it happens in when everybody else is around and it happens in a world that if I leave and I come back, that world persists and goes on. What happened when that world while I was gone, right? We talked about that with Kevin Jordan a little bit. He said, you know, that's what draws people to MMOs is like, well, that's the world keeps existing when I'm offline, right? It's like, that's, everybody loves that. So, and I think instances kind of take that away. So, but you make a really good argument. It's hard to, it's hard to argue with that. And, um, and I don't want to pick apart what you're saying. So please, you know me better than that, but Mm -hmm. here's my thing. You gave, you know, you, you, you realize it's a decent idea, but then what you did is you started to talk yourself out of it. Why is it bad? And this is what a lot of people do. Well, then this is going to get instance. This No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. This is a simple question. Is it okay to just instance, you know, the raid bosses? And that doesn't have to have this long list of ifs, 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 if we're talking about one thing because everything yeah. else we agree on open world dungeons open world open world raid zone all that yeah. right many yeah. bosses regular bosses but penultimate huge bosses big moments that you probably have to mm-hmm. get keyed for you have to do all this stuff anyway right so here's the funny part if it was open world you'd have to get keyed you'd have to get everyone a key you'd have to do all this different stuff you'd have to fight your way there and then you'd get to do the fight how is that any different yeah. Well, right. the reality is, is stuff like that's so difficult anyway, that usually very few people actually get mm-hmm. to it. So it's sort of like an instance by default because it's yeah. so difficult and challenging. So, so you can kind of make done, the argument that well, you've done all this stuff to get there. Do you really want some Joe Schmo who sneaks in the door with you running around like, hey, guys, while you're trying to do a fight? Like there is no value whatsoever, none to having non-group fighting or being in that environment with you. None. There's yeah. no benefit to that at all. I think it's, yeah. if anything, it's distracting. It's it's less interactive. It's less immersive. Um, yeah. I just, you know, I just don't understand that's, it. That's true. There was one good, on the forums, there was one good quote that I want to read because I, I, I made a note of it. And, mm-hmm. and I think it speaks to what you're saying. You know, somebody doing, let's say somebody does that, right? It doesn't create anything it's a bad moment for the people in the moment. It's a, you know, but it creates drama. It creates toxicity. And somebody said, you know, um, instancing does lower toxicity and drama for sure, but it does that by sterilizing the game in a way. Right. So it sterilizes everything else at the cost of the toxicity and drama sometimes that open world content can create. So 
I, and I don't, it doesn't apply exactly. Yes, it would, it would create a lot of drama if somebody did that while you were in this epic raid moment for sure and toxicity for sure. And that is not, that, that there's more going on there than just toxicity. That's like ruining somebody's experience and for all the reasons that you talked about. But in just in general, right, people say, well, I, you know, I, I want to, I want to have this dungeon to myself. I want to run the dungeon. I want the full experience. But yeah, yeah but you're, again, you're, you're taking going away. down that slope. You're going down that slope. To I know, but that's a lot of the comments on Twitter talked. A lot of people sure, on Twitter sure. did sort of expand it beyond that, right? So I'm sort of going from um, because and the question does say like it doesn't just say raids. It does sure. say you know can it can it that's work? What, Do you like it? You know exactly that kind of thing, exactly. So. But what I'm talking about and having the conversation directly with you is I think this yeah. is what would work best because there is again someone he, the only value somebody can say to having other people in the raid area is oh it's epic to watch it happen. Yeah, then watch it on YouTube. <laughs> you don't need yeah. to be there. You don't and need it, to be there. And it incentivizes people to do it too. If you, you know, if yeah. it's a possibility. And, and right? the, the other part too is people will say, oh, well then loot's going to just, everyone will have a chance at loot and it's just a free loot pinata. Not true because instancing makes fights be more dread dynamic and you can make them harder. So they can be even harder to kill than a regular one. On top of that, make the drop rates really, really low and have them only be able to kill it once a week. So if you have to kill it, 20, 30 times to get the item you want. It's going to take 20 to 30 weeks of success. Yeah. Yeah. It's all so that it's, item bastardization and all that. No, that's a whole different problem. That That's a problem that's spread throughout anything you kill in the game and how often it's going to drop. What well, we're talking about is someone tell me the value of an open world raid fight within a raid zone, not open world within a raid zone. There's, I don't see any benefit to it specifically if it's a big fight where you already have to be keyed you already have to do all these things you already have to fight your way there and only your group should be able to get in that room anyway so tell me why yeah. we're not instancing so that we can make the yeah. fight better i just don't get I it. i mean the, the fact that vr is talking a lot about like you know how much other stuff there's going to be in this world like this is raid like i said it, like i don't know if i'll even see a raid in the first year of me playing pantheon so who cares right <laughs> at the end you of the will. day like it doesn't matter that much to most of the player base about whether you know if they have three four raids that are in the in game yeah. yeah you will <laughs> that's right a little bit yeah but uh you know i just think it's yeah it, it doesn't really apply to the majority of people it'll apply to some people for sure but um there's i i, I we're on the same page i think at the end of the day uh, long question we did like a half hour on that almost that's good <laughs> all right so let's go quick on this next one because it's pretty easy <laughs> yeah, yeah can do do points of interest in secret locations on the map make you want to travel to them and see what's there or do you just power through and clear a zone when you need the mm-hmm. when you do what you need basically then move on so we'll read through these quickly crow singer says i live in a world filled with mysteries and hidden beauty um i love to find secret places in the sides of mountains where shadows beckon i love to find hidden glades of peace and magic i love to run through a forest i think i know wow and suddenly find something i missed um Basgrim, yep basgram says oftentimes <laughs> i'll be in the process of clearing mobs in an area but see something interesting in the distance or even better stumble upon a true secret that i didn't even know was there until i got right on top of it those things motivate me to keep playing definitely jonathan yeager says i love secrets and hidden locations and not points of interest as they tend to be marked out and removed from the sense of discovery yeah, actually, on the forums, um, somebody asked the question of Kilson about this question because it wasn't clear whether he was talking about like points of interest noted on a map or like something like you coming across something like Basgram's talking about. Um, and then Kilson actually responded saying um, he did mean it to mean like not points that appear on a map, um, but like if you see like something an unknown symbol, and you just, yeah, 
yeah, something that piques your interest and you come upon it like an abandoned campsite. It could be anything, right? It could be like a hard, super hard battle. It could be a, you know, a, something, just a perception ping. It could be anything, right? So he kind of clarified it a little bit. Yeah. Exozone says the unknown is the best. Like a mob would say something like, rumor is the monolith in Zone X was the site of the Battle of X. Go to Zone X and start to explore history, lore, or maybe I'm just reading too much into this. <laughs> <laughs> I like that response. That's a good one. Antimony says, absolutely yes, though I tend to scour every inch of a zone to see all the sites anyway. I love finding nooks and crannies and vistas and whatever else. Gloth yep. Dragon says, I think you'll find there's two major camps here. Those that power through and might come back later, and those are who are all about exploration while fighting. I hope for an open world groups are interested in finding different areas and exploring. My favorite places are so cool. They're not named. <laughs> I like that. Uh, DM Harm says, absolutely the kind of person that will stay in a place until I am 99.99999% sure that I have found every nook and cranny. I like to try to know areas thoroughly, even at low levels. Dude, that's me too, man. I, I spend way too much time. Like I can't leave an area until I'm sure I've sort of looked everywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. I love this next one. It's simple, but I just, I love it. So Cutter Stormhold says, depends if it gives disco XP. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other side of the camp. That's like the pragmatist, <laughs> the, the practical thinking person who's like, I don't really care what these secret areas are. It doesn't really interest me. Does it give me experience? Yes. Okay. I got to find it. Yeah, I love that. Disco XP. I'm going to start using that. Definitely going to use that. Um, Alan says, I like points of interest without being told to go there. True discoveries, secret rooms, dark alley trading, underground brothels. Oh, <laughs> underground brothels. Uh, gnome grooming parlors. <laughs> Look, as a, as a rogue, I feel like if there are underground brothels, I will have to spend much time there. Just so you know, Derek. If you guys yeah, are looking well, for hey, me. I, that would be a true, that would be a good discovery if you found an underground brothel <laughs> or, or a gnome grooming partner parlor would be even no, weirder. No, yeah, the no. Yeah. Um, Kratuk says, Explan uh, exploration and reasons for it are important in MMO. It'd be great if the land could change at times, even creating new locations, which really could technically lore wise. But yes, points of interest and general exploration is both desirable and important. World yeah. versus game. Agreed. Yeah, well, well said. I, yeah. I think anyone who's grouped with me or watched our videos and we were able to show content and I'm like, oh, that's a cave, knows that I'm pretty <laughs> excited by things like that. Um, crazy statues or caves. I don't know what it is. They're caves. I well, get so excited when I see a cave. Caves? <laughs> I, I know you do and I love it. I love you for it because it's so great. Um, you know, and when I just, when I adventure with you, what I'm going to be doing, I, I want to be able to make notes on my map. I want to make my own points of interest. This is sort of what mm -hmm. I want because I want to put down a marker on my map that says, this is the bear cave where Minus died. And I'll give it like a cool <laughs> name and be like, you know, <laughs> rogue, rogue death cave or something like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then you come across things that just sort of naturally, like on your own. I think that's like the best feeling is when you just, when something's not marked and you find something is the best. I, I, points of interest are kind of cool. I mean, it makes me think of a lot of RPGs that I've played, you know, open world RPGs and MMOs, you know, Guild Wars 2 is notorious for the points of interest. And think about the map in BDO we just played the other night, right? Like so many points on that map, right? But uh, the best stuff is when you're just wandering through, even in BDO and we look around, you'd be like, what's that going on up there? You know, what that troll is like hammering on that tree or doing something crazy, right? So 
stuff like that's just sweet you know like making the world your own that way i don't understand i I love caves i think i've just come to terms with the fact that my favorite part in mmorpgs open world is finding a cave have you ever been hoping it never stops cave diving in real life you ever gone never. spelunking and i never no, will. You really should there's no You'd way i love it nope those times no, you, you have to crawl through like those really tight areas nope yeah no it's a hard no eh? i'm not claustrophobic but i think i'm slightly claustrophobic <laughs> um like talking about it now yeah. yeah well like i have like a fear of like you know in the alien movies when they're crawling in the vent yeah i have yeah. this fear of getting and being for some reason i'm in a vent and i get to the end and it's just an end and i can't <laughs> turn around and I have to like go backwards. That terrifies me to know it. I have no idea why. I did, maybe huh. I had a dream when I was a kid. Like that is a weird thing to me. And I don't ever want to have to go backwards in a really tight area, hoping I get out and not being able to turn like that, that bothers me. And like caves, like getting stuck in a cave or like that guy who had to like cut his arm off or something to get out. Yeah, 127 hours. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm good. I'll just do it in MMORPGs. I'll, I'll get my fix there. So. Is that why you're playing a halfling? Because you're small and you, the yeah, caves can be... Hopefully I don't get stuck. Yeah, yeah, you can just slip right sort of through. I should be okay. a gnome because I could just become an essence and get out and then go back into my body or something maybe. Who knows if that works out. Exactly. exactly. All right, well, that's Good it for one. VR news and notes. When the Pantheon community speaks, we listen. So let's dig into the forums and fan projects to see what the discussion is all about. All right, so this week's community discussion, we are going to be talking about the map that uh, VR revealed on the last dev stream. Um, if you didn't catch it, um, it was a pretty big reveal. We got to look at the uh, topographical map of King's Reach. And it was this map is actually landscape generated through their world building. So it's, it wasn't a concept art piece. It wasn't like a sketch. It actually showed the zones and the connections between them and it, and, and much, much more, actually. Some people will point out here in a minute. Um, it gave us a really, our first look at the world of Terminus that wasn't either like concept art or like from a player perspective, like through a, a stream and seeing them actually play the game. So this generated, as you might imagine, quite a bit of discussion. And um, I went through a few different forums to try and get some, you know, commentary. How was the community? You know, what were you thinking about this? What was the reaction to this map? Because it was a uh, it was kind of a big, it was kind of a big reveal. So um, a couple places. Firstly, um, some of the comments from the video, uh, Renarius said he liked how non-linear the zones were. So you can see um, from the Silent Plains, you can zone into actually five different zones, maybe even seven. Uh, he said it wouldn't surprise me one bit if you can zone from Silent Plains back into or into Black Rose Keep maybe a different dungeon that connects to Silent Plains, anyway, on and on. He was excited about the layout and how big the zones were, which is definitely something that uh, that I noticed as well. It's just the, the scale of these zones was absolutely massive. Um, so yeah, and then uh, our buddy uh, Gatorbait said, uh, been waiting for a better map for a long time. Can't wait to see other continents and how they compare size-wise too, which is a really good point because King's Reach is... is the one that they're going with for alpha here and um, rainfall is if not just as big, it's, it's comparable in terms of size. We haven't seen uh, white thought yet. Um, We haven't seen a really map. We don't know anything about it as much, Um, but uh, uh, rainfall, we certainly do. So are they going to make it, you know, is that going to be just as big? This, this world is is looking absolutely huge. (laughs) I don't know if you felt the same way when you looked at the map again, but um it's, it's sort of funny to think, you know? Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so Zuranthium um, on the comments as well said, I like how the silent planes are sort of mimic mimicking the Karanas from EverQuest, uh, distinctly separating each side of the continent. I noticed that too, you know, like again, EQ had that, you know, Kinos on one side, Freeport on the other, sort of, and then meet in the middle kind of thing where the Karanas were. So I, I kind of feel like that. I feel that vibe too. Um, a lot of people, and this is somebody who said on, on a Reddit, and this was a common theme, they said um, the mountains are kind of a lazy way of separating the zones. I didn't like the mountains. Um, I felt it was overused. Um, and some other people said they suspected, you know, there were sort of like lore reasons behind why there's such a, such a plethora of mountains on the map. Um, it's a good way of explaining it, but also sort of allows them to sort of cordon off areas and, and make areas more distinct with the mountains. Um, so, and somebody pointed out in response to that, that looking at the map um, and talking about where you need to go, um, don't forget the Pantheon has vertical progression. I think yep. this was a great point. Yep. So even though there's a mountain pass, there might be ways to get over it. You could be find ways through it, through hidden shortcuts. Um, like you said, cave systems that need to be found, right? So climbing, I mean, climbing in general. I mean, mm -hmm. I think yeah, the more I mean, the merrier there. So yeah, exactly. And and you know, some of the some of the talk was about the the dotted lines, right? Showing where the zone connections were. We're we're sort of looking at it from as if that's a given. Um, and one of the um, articles that I want to reference is uh, from our pal Ben and I. He actually wrote an article over on Pantheon Plus. He was not happy with the map. He didn't he didn't uh, he didn't think it was. Um, he thought it revealed too much information at the end of the day, because what he wanted was more of like, you know, uh, if I can see a place that I can't go, then it tells me a lot already about even though I don't know where I can go, I know where I can't go. That's that's a problem, because when you want to when you're when you're in the game and you're looking around and you see the landscape, you want to think, hey, I could possibly go there. But he felt like this map sort of took that away a little bit. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would encourage everybody to actually go over and read that article on Pantheon.plus. He did, I, I left a link in the description. He did a really great job of explaining his concerns about it. Um, so it, it's a good read. Um, again, on Reddit as well, um, Salacious Lion and Minus Eugene chimed in on this one, and I wanted to include it because I, I liked what you said. Um, he said, having explored, having explored all of Thronefast, what are the chances, in your opinion, of actually completing the art assets for the zone in a year? Because this map... Again, it gave us an idea of the size of the zones, right? Yeah. So do you want to sort of just comment on what you said about this? Because I thought your answer was really good on this. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of people want to try to say, how long can this be done here? And like, what should the expectations be? And when is alpha? And, and pretty simply, my whole thing was, honestly, I'm not setting any expectations. I know there's a lot of people that think alpha before the end of the year, alpha that, nope, I am, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not looking at alpha being in sight. They're working towards it, and that's all I can ask for. Because to be completely honest with you, it's going to be very hard to understand progress until the network stack and the URP are finalized. Because simply put, until those two things are in, there's a ton of things waiting. And a lot of processes like class implementation and what Torque has done with Houdini, a lot of those things can't happen at the pace that, that they're naturally able to happen at until that stuff is done. And the programmers that are working on that are freed up, you know, to do more. So in my opinion, like I'm, 
I just can't wait to hear that the network stack and URP are done. And then I think we'll start to see what that fast pace begins to look like with Houdini. And again, with all the developers being able to now put classes in and do the different things around the alpha list. I think that it's going to be a slow build until those two things are done. And then you're going to get a waterfall. That, that's my yeah. personal opinion. So for me right now, until I see what progress looks like after those two things, I'm just, I'm not setting any expectations for myself. That's all. Yeah, it's smart and smart, you know, and I can understand the question too, because when like you, again, you look at the size of these zones and you think, man, there's a lot to put in there. Like they got a, a lot to fill in. There's a lot of content to put in there. So, um, you know, it, it's an understandable question and I'm sure a lot of other people had the same, had the same question. Um, Basgrim again, talked about, um, the locked, he talked about the locked areas sort of, it was kind of cool. Cause you see those like areas reserved for future expansion around the, around the edges. Right. Those are those he clarified. Those are for expansion, not launch or, you know, beta or anything like that. Um, he uh, he did mention he's pretty fortunate to have a decent frame of reference for how massive Fairthale is. And and like I said, with these huge zones, if you imagine that extrapolated to the rest of the continent, he's very happy with the size of things, um, especially considering there will be two other continents at launch as well, which is, is really cool. And he sums it up by saying landmass matters more than number of zone lines, which I think is, is kind of a interesting, uh, interesting comment. I, I don't disagree either. Yeah. Um, and then somebody uh, on Reddit responded to him actually and said, I hope there are lots of entrances to dungeons and cave systems that aren't shown on the map, regardless of the size of the zones. Um, because again, um, we've talked about this before, you know, uh, content can go deep rather than, doesn't have to just be spread out, right? Like you can have a cave system that goes, winds its way through a mountain and, and is actually much more depth to it, more content wise, uh, that's going to take you time to consume rather than just having a big spread out landmass. Uh, somebody sort of echoed that and said, size doesn't matter. Well, actually it does, but not as much as people believe it's all about the quality <laughs> of the zones, not quantity. <laughs> so yeah, kind of echoing that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And then, uh, the last one, somebody, um, talked about, Again, hoping there's lots of uh, higher level dungeons between the zones that uh, go between the mountains. So it's another way of uh, going through from one zone to another. Uh, lower level characters can have to take the long way around. So higher level characters can kind of sort of sneak their way through. Um, and then somebody pointed out the um, there's a place on the map that's labeled as Mad Run, which goes from Thronefast into uh, the um, Eastern Plains, I believe. And uh, that's a good point because that is sort of what it looks like on the map. It sort of looks like a, a natural uh cave through the mountains yep um somebody said traveling by boat is uh pointed out by this map um they said even on the lore side of things people will find a way they'll find the way of least resistance so if you're going to save a week traveling um, by making a shipping route um, people are going to make that i personally would be disappointed if there was not some kind of boat system like there was in everquest one um when you uh whereas you save time you also make stops at islands and explore you know that kind of stuff like they did in eq and then the final comment is, I love the map, um, bottlenecking the directions that you can travel and keep uh, bottlenecking the directions you can travel keeps the classes that make travel easier, very valuable. I'm planning on playing a wizard at this point. So burn damage and making that port money between porting and the flash <laughs> ability. I'm pretty sure travel is going to be easier with the wizard and I can't wait. <laughs> so nice. kind of, you know, a different take on different take on the, the ask, looking at the map when you consider what class you're going to play. I mean, my reaction to the map was pretty good. I liked it. Um, I liked that we got to see something we hadn't seen before. Um, I think there is a lot you can dig into in terms of like how the 
how the players will move from one area to another and um, some of the different things we saw, the centralizing of the, of the Silent Plains as being sort of a, a hub, I think, is what it's going to end up being for people coming together from one end of the continent to the other. Um, yeah, just lots of lots of little things like that. I, I'm doing um, I'm, I'm sort of doing a, a lore video about all the different zones that we saw and I'm working on it. And I'm, it's amazing how many times we've actually seen and been given details about some of these places that you might not think like <laughs> South South Sail Peninsula. It's, um, you know, that we saw that in a 2017 video and there's some lore and some stuff that we've seen there. So you can kind of now like get a feel for what it would be like to get to that place as opposed to just being dropped in it like we do on the streams. Right. So. I know we talked about this on Pantheon Plus U minus, but did you have any other uh, reflections on the map since uh, since it's uh, come out? I can't go into too much because of NDA, but I've <laughs> yeah. already pretty much planned how I'm going to get to our favorite camping spots that we've already discovered from uh, Wild End. So that's, that's like you can kind of see the way. I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to get through the one area and survive, but rogues, <laughs> right? Rogues. So yeah, and I don't know how yeah, you're getting it, over there from Fairthale. So good luck with that. Yeah. I got I got birds. They're going to pick me up and, and carry me okay. over the mountains, right? Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> now the <laughs> map reveal. The map reveal is cool. I think it, um, it it creates a little bit of finality to really wondering what this world's going to look like. At least this part of it. Um, it creates an area that we can see and say this is what we're going to be you know, getting a lot of for Alpha. I think it just it solidifies a lot. You know, there's a lot of things that VR does that are they don't share all the info that they have with us. So sometimes it makes us think they're still really in a planning phase, even though they're not. And showing something like this shows that this world isn't just planned. It's, it's real. Um, especially yes. since this is, you know, not just a sketch, you know, this is pretty much all this exists, which is crazy, yeah. right? Um, whether it's in gray box or not, you know, we don't know what percentage of that it is, but it pretty much all exists and that's exciting. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm pumped. I mean, this kind of stuff I love, I think it was the highlight of the stream. Um, and again, mm-hmm. I've looked over the map a ton of times. I'm just, I just can't wait, man. I just can't wait to explore. And, and like you said, <laughs> put the notes on there and, and kind of, if, if, even if we can't do it in game, have this printed out and start writing stuff on the map and stuff like that. It'd be really cool. Exactly. I mean, just hearing you say that just gets me excited. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I know the NDA part was sort of like a, a bit of a tricky part for me to talk about this too, but um, it, it is just, it is a good reveal. I, I liked what you said about reaffirming that they don't show us everything. Like just cause we yeah. haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? Like you got to keep that in mind per- when you're, when you're following this question. game. Yeah. And just cause they ask questions doesn't mean they don't already have the answers and they're not just testing reactions. You know, yeah. I, I think there's so many times like they'll post a question or someone will ask a question or drop a little talk I, from an ideological standpoint on a concept. And they, but, but in the, in inside VR, that concept's fleshed out completely. Um, but they just don't want to ruin it. You know, so there's, there's a lot of times in between those two things where it's hard to get a grasp on it. And I think a lot of times it leaves people thinking they're not as far along as maybe they are. And I've always mm. been in the camp that they're much further than we know. <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. I bet you there was probably a healthy debate about whether to even release this map. If I'm being perfectly honest, I, I kind of feel like they, there was probably some voices that said, no, I don't really want to do that. But, you know, sometimes you got to compromise a little bit and give the people a little, uh, a little candy once in a while. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. 
Anyway, yeah, no, I'm glad you liked it. Me too. Um, so no introductions this week, but I do want to point out a, a fan creation um, by uh, our buddy Chris Kane. We haven't heard from in a long time. It's actually Chris Kane and uh, J.S. Bukeri who uh, does a fan fiction piece, and then Chris Kane reads it. So there's a new entry in this series. Uh, it's called The Bard at the Bridge. So this is part two, volume one, and it just went up uh, a couple days ago. So you're listening to this on Sunday. It went up on Friday. And uh, I've listened to the previous ones. I haven't listened to this one yet because it was busy, but uh, it's very, very good. Um, Chris Kane, as you all know, can read anything and that we would listen to. <laughs> and um, so I encourage everyone to go and check out Chris Kane's YouTube channel and give that a listen. And that's it for this week's Community Discussions. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it gets here, I just yell, we're getting sued. All right. So we have some mailbox questions. Some of these are a little tricky, but uh, let's see what we can do with them. The first one here is from Preck and it says, listening to Joppa during the round table, talk about the Rangers summoning system or better known as beckoning. It sounds yes. like the Ranger won't be given any CC through leveling up. They'll have to go out and get them. If you want to stun, go befriend a bear. If you want to interrupt, befriend a hawk or something like that. What are your thoughts on this system? Well, there. Yeah. Well, I got to I got to take this one for sure, because um, this is this is right up my alley. And um, there, before I get to my opinion, I want to point out somebody's comment. Mubert actually commented in the discord. He had a really funny one. Uh, you know, he talked about he referenced JN's interview um, with with us that he said uh, Rangers are sort of like the Swiss Army knife. Right. And in terms of, you know, their utility and, and in the context of befriending animals, you know, he, he said, imagine there's this Chad rogue climbing a cliff wall in your off time and you get overtaken by a ranger who befriended a monkey and a mountain goat. And for some reason, the idea of the <laughs> ranger standing at the top of the cliff with this beckoned monkey or mountain goat, just staring down at the rogue climbing up, just made me, made me sort of smile. Hmm. So. <laughs> All right. Well, you're the alpaca. Let's not forget that. From, uh, my my torchlight adventures. I uh, picked the alpaca to be my pet named it So. Yeah, I went to bed as as a human being, and when I woke up and looked at Discord this morning, apparently I would have been turned into an alpaca. So <laughs> it was quite quite jarring, but um, I've gotten used to it now. No, but in all seriousness, I the beckoning system that they describe is pretty cool. Um, I do have some concerns, to be honest with you, about it. I don't. Um, so Guild Wars Two again referenced that has this sort of collectible pet system. They all do different things. They all sort of like, you know, you have this arsenal of pets at your, at your beck and call at any time. What I would like Pantheon to do, if they're going to do a system where you, where I can go out as a ranger and, um, you know, tame or get some sort of, you know, animal companion, that should be temporary. That should be like a thing that I have until I log off, right? Like, I don't want to become like a, my pet stable um, that I have access to at all times. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to like, you know, certain areas are going to be better for me because I've got better access to, you know, pets with better abilities in that area. And I'm, so I'm, rangers are more drawn to that kind of area, maybe. Um, but I do think you need to limit it a little bit. I think that it should be more of a, like a realistic system. Maybe you can take one and you keep one as your like your heart companion or something like that. And the rest are all sort of like just temporary, maybe something, maybe soften it up a little bit. Um, but I don't, um, you know, I'm, I'm not too keen on having every animal at my disposal. So um, even though I, you know, it sounds like it would be pretty powerful and it would probably be make me pretty overpowered as a ranger, but um, I do want to feel like I'm balanced a little bit. What do you think? 
I think I'm hearing and seeing this scale completely different from everyone else who's getting excited about it. And maybe it's just me and maybe I'm interpreting this very wrong. I don't interpret this as having animals following you around at all. Like, I don't think you're going to be walking with animals following you. I think you're going to have skills that you maybe have one, one of to begin with like enemy skill And as you level, you get a couple extra and you can slot them in as you go and, you know, tame a Veilhawk. Now, you know, beckon one is the ability from a Veilhawk. Oh, I see. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, And then maybe eventually as you level, you get more. So, you know, you know, the roar of a bear. And when you cast them, maybe the animal appears and does an attack or there's like a a spirit form of the animal, like to just show the interaction or basically your spell effect. But I do not see you having a having pets actually following you around like a wow hunter. Um, That's at least the way I've always looked at this is like you beckon a hawk. The hawk flies in as an attack. Like it's like you're just like a fireball from a wizard. You have like a hawk fly in real quick. That's right. the way I've seen this. And it almost reminds me of like, um, did you play Final Fantasy seven? No. Okay. So Final Fantasy seven had a, a yellow material you could get. And it was called enemy skill. And it had like 50 enemy skills you could capture on it. And you had to have an enemy hit you with the ability with the material on. And you had a chance to learn it um, right. after being hit. And then once you learned it, you could use it. My thoughts is it's going to be something like that, but that you can only have so many at a time. So you have to continuously go out and sort of set yourself up for whatever you're going to do to have these different abilities. That's Mm. what I'm seeing this as. I could be completely wrong, but immediately that's, that's what I thought this system was going to be. But most people are talking like they're going to have all these animals. Like you're not the only one. Pretty much everybody Mm -hmm. I've talked to thinks that's what it's going to be like. I don't see it being that way. Maybe I'm crazy. No, I, your idea is cool, man. I, I like that. I, if you learn the skill and it becomes part of your 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 codex, your skill book, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, yeah, that seems really good. <laughs> you know, it seems really good. It gives me an incentive to go out and um, you know find as many of these as I can, and and sort of like, yeah, I don't know, man. I think we need I think we need to see the ranger soon to get some clarification <laughs> on this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you wouldn't complain if we got the Rangers. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. This is a really tough question. I don't know how to answer it seriously. It's from Gulu Gulu. He says, what's your prediction for the class that will have the easiest and hardest epic quest? Yeah, I, I came up with an answer. It's not a long answer, but I did come up with an answer. I, I think that um, uh, classes that have the best uh, travel ability like to remote locations like wizards and druids, I think mm. because they have the ability to sort of short circuit some of like an epic quest is usually pretty sprawling, right? Like spans the world. You have to go to a bunch of different places. So I think you got to make theirs a little bit more difficult because they can just get there real quick. Oh, you want theirs to be harder. Hmm. Yeah. I think they need to have the really hardest, the hardest epic quests need to be druids and wizards. Um, who's the easiest. I don't know. I don't know. Summoners maybe because they're already super powerful. <laughs> yeah. From the sounds of it. That raft, man, with all this water on the map, that raft could uh, change the change the game. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I don't really know what to base this off of. Um. You know, in my theory, I would say the classes that have the hardest time soloing would be the hardest, and mm. the ones that can solo most might be the easiest. So, um, you know, I I could see a summoner being easy. 
And then I could think to myself, well, maybe your rogues will be a little bit easier because you'll be able to stealth through things and maybe you have to pickpocket and do things you kind of do on your own to play into the class fantasy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, whereas a warrior, you would say like, oh, you're a tank, so you're going to have to have a group with you. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard. I would say that I would base it basically on the classes that can solo. The easiest would yeah. probably have the easier quests, whereas, you know, healers, tanks probably have it the hardest. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, honestly, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, there's no epic quest. There's no uh, that that's ever soloable. You know, you have to you're going to have to group for these things. So, yeah, no, if you're a, if your solo capabilities are are uh, limited, then um, you should really be, um, you know, that should play into whether your epic quest is easy or hard. So, yeah, it's a good one. The next one here, I'll answer this one. The next one here, Zelik says, without breaking or bending any NDA rules, how do you think this weekend's play test went that VR mentioned? Can you say something about it? No. Okay, so the next question is, Ben and I, he says, what makes well, good combat music in a game where you, actually, what test? What is he talking about? Um, ben and I says, what makes good combat music in a game where you spend hundreds of hours listening to it? Um, none. <laughs> I, uh, what? What are you crazy? <laughs> listen, I, so there are very few zones where I constantly listen to the music with, with without eventually turning the music down. Um, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> yeah, like like there's definitely some zones that are better than others, and it, to me, it has to fit the environment. I don't know what it is like playing Devil May Cry, for example. Like whenever the metal kicks up and you're fighting, that kind of works for that game. But in an MMO, yeah. like, I don't know. I think that combat music's okay for a while, but eventually I'm going to get tired of it. I mean, you're playing yeah. thousands of hours. Like, That's true. I don't want to listen to any music for a thousand hours. So. <laughs> That's true. And my answer is like, it's got to be simple, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be real simple. It can't demand your attention. You know, it's got to be distinct, but, um, you know, it's got to have a simple hook, with a loop that doesn't jar you too much. And, you know, everybody likes different types of music and different instruments. But for me, like a simple strings sort of arrangement, just something, something that's upbeat and tempo, but not like doesn't assault you every time you enter battle, you know, just but it's it, it tells you or it communicates to you that you're entering battle. So it's a good question. It's probably, you know, as a comp- not a composer. I mean, I'm sure it's easier said than done. So I don't know, man, <laughs> the more metal something is, the more I feel like fighting. So. Well, you, you know, you, I know you don't want to play Valheim and I've talked about Valheim a little <laughs> bit. I got to bring this up. People who are listening know exactly where I'm going with this, because when you summon the bosses in Valheim, it is the most epic metal that you've ever heard. <laughs> like, it's like that Danish kind of like, like storm you know, the castle Scandinavian metal. metal. Yes, yeah. totally. And it, I love it. I'm, you know, I'm, I like metal to begin with, but like I, anybody who plays that game, if they don't like that boss fight, I, I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about the boss fight music in that game. And it's very, it's very uh, notable, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd have to say in every game ever, Devil May Cry has my favorite fighting music. It's oh, I never played Devil May Cry. They're, they're pretty fun. It's pretty fun. All right. Nice. Well, everybody pay attention because we are now jumping into our last segment. And if you're watching live on the premiere, that means we're going to be giving away a $300 pledge. But that's it for the mailbox. Sit back and relax. It's time for The Lore You Know. So having talked about the map of Kingsreach earlier, I thought the idea, I thought it would be a good idea to give you a little lore for that map. So we saw Kingsreach. So take a listen, because I'm going to read from the official lore about what happened to the continent of Kingsreach during the Deicide War. 
King's Reach did not fare well. The island has only the Rones as a natural defense. And while both humans and elves made their hold around it and on it respectively, there was little choice but to meet Osari's vast forces on the field of battle. Assistance in this came from the Moskag warriors and the Elvanan giants, as well as the enigmatic assassins of the Red Raven. But despite their valor, beautiful Havensong became the last bulwark of defense, with the silent sanctum hidden in the ruins behind. In perhaps the most mournful episode of the entire war, Havensong fell, along with the human king Amensal, and the betrayer Osari demanded the entire city be wiped from the plain and carried off. Halting his army from any pursuit into the ruins, Osari personally verified that every last timber, stone, and hinge was removed from the scorched landscape and dropped off the cliffs into the sea miles away. This took three days, and it was not until the effort was finished did he march on the sanctum. And that's the lore you know. All right, so another episode of The Rewind is in the books. Derek, thank you for some heated discussion on instancing. I enjoyed that. I kind of knew when I saw that. I'm like, well, let's make sure that takes some time because that's going to be pretty big. And I'm pretty passionate about that. So I'm going to come at you a little bit. Yeah. Um, But also that map is awesome. I hope everybody really enjoys it. It's the more I look at it, the more I'm excited. And then with that lore there, you know, the Rones, is that where the original city was then? Was it in the Rones? Is that where? Yes, that's a good question. And it's actually... I, it's sort of up for debate. Ben and I, again, the article by Ben and I does some questions about that and answers some questions about that. So, but yes, that is the thinking. Well, here's the part of that lore that makes me think that look at me dissecting lore. Here's the part of the lore. It says here uh, that this here, the silent sanctum. Okay. Right here. While both the humans and elves made their hold around and on it respectively. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> Farathel's yeah. not on it. So right. it had to be there. So so the Rones as a zone, which is kind of cool because that's new information from that map. The, the, we didn't know the Rones was going to be a zone in itself. Mm-hmm. But now we have this idea that the Rones is like this meeting point between the elves and the humans, perhaps, because, you know, they work together. The elves sort of save the humans a little bit yep. from... You know, when they first arrived on the planet, they were in big trouble. Um, so, yeah, they made their hold on it, you know, around it. And respectively, there was little choice for them. So to, Haven to, Song, Haven Song was in the rooms, right? That's yes, think. that's that's my understanding, at least. I mean, I'm, you know, <sighs> Jay on Jan here again and ask him for sure. But yes, that is my understanding. <laughs> All right. Well, this one's already gone long, so I won't continue to jump into lore. But Theric, if you're getting <laughs> me jumping into lore, that's a good thing. So I'm curious Dude, what everyone anytime. else out there. Yeah. Curious what everyone else out there thinks. Uh, Again, another great episode. Thank you, everybody who supports us. And Theric, thanks for another great show, buddy. No problem, man. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Pantheon Plus Rewind. Be sure to follow Minus and all Pantheon Plus related content on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube under the name Pantheon Plus. Also, be sure to follow Theric at Pantheon Theric on Twitter. Keep up to date on all Pantheon Rise of the Fallen information on www.pantheon.plus, the definitive source for all media of Pantheon. Until next time.